A fresh take on ancient myth. And from the sounds of it, Darren, you are nice and relaxed tonight. Not yet. Oh, not yet, but you will be. Okay. Episode number? Number eight, I think we're on. Wow, can you believe it? Eight so far, right? Yeah. Who would have thought? So, I'm Allison, and... I'm Darren. We are going to continue our tour tonight, tonight or today, or whenever you're, you're listening to this. That's right. Our tour, our mythological tour of the solar system. Yes. So, last week we uh, we kicked around Mars a little bit, talked a little bit about Mars, the red planet, and then uh, we're moving on. Uh, we're jumping to Jupiter. Jupiter. Uh, we're looking at the father of gods and men, the king of the gods. And Jupiter the king Maximus. of the planets. Yes, oh yeah, there's no, without question. We're into the is, gas giant This is now. the Yes, this is the big one. Yeah. yeah. So, mythologically important, but also important scientifically and yes. you know in, in in our in our solar system its role in our solar system yes yeah. and we also have great timing yet again oh we do what's, what's um because next monday the yes. juno probe arrives at jupiter yes so our exciting listeners time. our listeners mm-hmm. will know a little bit about that maybe yes um based on my, my information from nasa and yeah um also a shout out to an astronomer i follow on twitter aaron ryan and we'll put her Twitter link in our show notes, who answered some questions for me that I had about Jupiter. There you go. So there's and lots si- of friendly astronomers and scientists on Twitter, I have discovered. Right. And <laughs> since there is no planet Juno slash planet Hera, this is as close as it's going to yeah. get. Yeah. So we talk about husbands and wives, and we talk about, you know, the male gods and their female consorts and vice versa. So if they don't all make the list, then some way or another, they will make the list. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. And Yeah. Um, so why don't I start us off then with some of our scientific facts according to yes. Allison reading the NASA yes. website. NASA. Okay. Thank God this for is NASA. highly detailed research. Yes, good stuff. I go to NASA. Yeah. <laughs> Again, links in uh, in our web, um, our blog. Yeah. That's the word I'm yeah. looking for. The show notes. Um, yeah. Or you can just poke around on NASA. Mm-hmm. So Jupiter, king of the planets. In a nutshell, it is the largest, uh, most massive planet in our solar system. Um, it, you could fit 1,300 Earths inside of it. That's a lot. Yeah, that's 1,300 times the, yeah, yeah. the mass of the Earth. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of cool stuff about Jupiter. I actually found I, it really interesting once I got into it. Did you get the one about the size of the eye? Yes, we'll get there. Okay. Yeah. I particularly we'll talk like about that. that. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Jupiter is kind of cool in well, it's very cool in our solar system because Jupiter could have been a star, but for some reason it didn't quite get there. Yep. So we've got this planet that is a could have would have wanted to be have been star maybe, mm-hmm. and it's got uh, more than fifty moons orbiting it. There's fifty confirmed and seventeen unconfirmed wow. moons orbiting it, and we'll talk I a little I bit more. I think I know three. I think you know four. Oh, maybe. But we'll talk a little okay. bit more about right. those um, in a minute. <clears throat> so, yes. So, the... Um, oh, and Jupiter, Jupiter's got three rings. It's got the red spot you mentioned. 
And um, according to NASA, there have been nine missions to Jupiter sure. so far. Yeah. Yeah, and so, many more to come. Yeah. Wait for this Juno probe to go off without a hitch, and then yeah. we're going to be running. So running there. it's uh, Jupiter is 5.2 astronomical units from the sun. Do you remember what an astronomical unit is? Yes, I do. It is? Uh, it is an astronomical, one astronomical unit is the distance from the sun to earth. Yes. So that means that this There's is... There's like four, four more. Four more. Four, four of those yeah. uh, to equal its distance. Yeah. yeah. All right. So... It's, and it, It's out there. Yeah. yeah. And it is so big that yeah. big uh, it contains... The planet Jupiter contains more than twice the total combined material of our solar system, excluding the sun. So if you take all of the other matter in our solar system and yes. lump it all together, that's still only going to be like half of Jupiter. Like that, wow. I can't, I cannot wrap my head around that. Well, you know, hence, that's huge. Yeah, hence it's it's powerful gravitational field, right? Because it is sort of the vacuum for the solar system. Yeah. Sucking in all the, thank God it's there. Yeah. Because if it wasn't, then God knows what the inner solar system would look like, right? Plus there'd be cometary yeah, bodies yeah. and asteroidal bodies flipping and flying all over the place. <laughs> we might not have, you know... Might not have made it, you know, <laughs> absolutely. So the material that makes up Jupiter mm -hmm. um, is thought to be left over from the formation of our sun. Mm -hmm. um, so primarily um, when you look at Jupiter, you see kind of these white and orange and kind of reddish, brownish uh, yeah, bands. bands of gas. Yes, and they're ammonia and ammonia compounds. Mm. So with some other chemicals added, some unknown chemicals providing color. Hopefully so not for long. Maybe we will find out, yeah, maybe we will find out what they are. Yeah. Um, Jupiter has a fast rotation, so 10 hours. So that's Ooh, twice as fast it. as Earth, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so it creates really strong jet streams, basically, yeah. and that's what um, makes it look all streaky because yeah. these cr these uh, clouds get whipped into uh, into long um, streams, yeah. banners. Yeah, sort of like a like a smoothie. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like yeah. a different bands, you know, like like, like a black cream. and tan, maybe. Well, that's a drink. Like but ice cream. Yeah, like yeah, something when heavy, like lighter density swirl before it mixes. Swirl yeah, you know, I also heard. You know, when you think about its size and the and you just described the velocity that it yeah. spins, that one of the largest dangers that the Juno probe faces is the magnetic field yes, as a result uh, of that. Are we're going to talk about Oh, okay. you bet. All right, I have all right, got no, this. Hands off. Hands off. <laughs> it's okay. No, yeah, it's so okay. Good. You're yeah. you're on the ball too. Okay. Okay, so you mentioned the red spot? Yes. Is that um, a technical term for it? Yeah, no, the okay. red spot. Okay. So, Jupiter has this red eye or this red yes. spot. The red spot's been been observed for more than 300 years. Yes. Keep an eye on it. Um, and so the idea is that because there's no um, continents or there's no land that would on Jupiter's surface that would right. slow down these storms these storms just keep building and building and sure. building it would be like storms in the I guess I, I guess the closest thing on earth right? I guess the, yeah the closest thing on earth would be the um, Antarctic Ocean right where there where you can where the ocean just kind of goes around and around and around oh, the yeah. earth and there's no land um, okay. breaking it only like this is way bigger right um, so the red spot itself um, the great red spot because yes. there was a smaller one at one point um, the great red spot is twice the size of earth oh okay now that's it's smaller it. than I thought though I oh, thought okay. that the red spot or the storm itself contained approximately about 13 Earths itself. Oh, okay. But that's okay. Uh, what I saw on the shout website out. just said... It's just a shout said, out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Fact checker. Okay. <laughs> it's all good. Um, there was a little red spot, which it, or is a little red spot, I should say, which mm -hmm. is the merging of three different storms or oh, three yeah. different spots. 
yeah. um, that's about half the size of the Great Red Spot. One thing they don't know yet is um, whether these are storms that are on the surface from our perspective, like on the outside of Jupiter, or whether these storms go deep down into the atmosphere. Yes. Because I'm always wondering about whether or not there is a solid core or mass somewhere there. Yeah. Well, everybody's wondering yeah. that. The atmosphere on yeah. Jupiter is made up of hydrogen and helium, but the atmospheric pressure is yeah. so much that as you go down into the atmosphere, that actually becomes, those gases are compressed into liquids. Into liquids. Into liquids. Okay. So that makes... This, uh, Jupiter is the largest ocean. Now, yes. it's hydrogen, not water, but yeah. it's the largest ocean in the solar system. Yes, liquid gas. Um, and these liquid liquids... Gas? Yeah, these... Okay. Well... Liquefied gas. Liquefied gas, yes. Yeah. These liquids um, possibly contribute in the electrical conduction of this big magnet uh, magnetosphere yeah. we have. Don't let them match. Um, well, we don't know if there's a solid core underneath that. We just yeah. don't know. So the magnetosphere is this, um, it balloons out anywhere from one to three million kilometers from yeah. Jupiter, yeah. depending on uh, kind of what side is facing the sun yeah. and, and, and that kind of thing. So it, it, the, the side, the side, to, sorry, the side towards the sun is one to three million kilometers out. That's massive. But the side away from the sun, um, on that side, the magnetosphere tapers out yeah. one billion kilometers all the way to it reaches Saturn's orbit. Okay, that's so that's pretty yeah. big. Yeah. Um, and then science happens yes. and it creates radiation. Perfect. And I, that's as far as I'm going to explain that yeah. one. You can look that yes. one up on NASA and figure it out yourself right. if you really want to. If you want to get into that. Um, but yeah, and that's one of the big challenges that Juno is is going to face. So the rings, I mentioned rings when we were talking earlier and you were surprised because we don't think of Jupiter as having rings. Are those of us of a certain vintage, yes. educational vintage, don't think of Jupiter as having rings? That's, that's true. Um, they were discovered in 1979 by Voyager 1. Uh-huh. And they're small little dark particles and it's it's just, it's dust. It's interplanetary right. dust. Uh-huh. Um, uh, stirred up from, from meteor meteoroids and that sort of thing um, impacting the moons. There's right. two um, there's two inner rings uh, an inner ring and a halo I can't even, oh yeah two two outer rings, sorry, and one inner ring. Great. Basically, I'm having trouble reading my own notes tonight and I'm not even drinking the beer. Basically non-observable but they uh, they yeah. do orbit Well, not observable and they the can be detected yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. so they're yeah. there and they exist but I, and some of the moons yeah. actually orbit within like within sure, the Sure, I can imagine yeah. that would be the case. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So 1995 was the Galileo, um, just a couple of these um, highlights, along the highlights along the way. I know one in particular. Um, I wonder so, if you got it or not. So it's my favorite. Okay, yep, so 1610 is Galileo's observations. Oh, yeah, come on. Um, of course, this was this planet was known to the ancients, yes. and actually Pliny, um, his record of the orbit is actually accurate. Good for him. Yeah, he's a smart cookie, that Pliny. Yeah. Um, okay, so 1610 Galileo's observations. Mm -hmm. um, 1973 mm -hmm. Pioneer 10 does the very first fly past yep. of Jupiter. 1979, a very good year. Mm -hmm. um, Voyager 1 and 2 discover the rings. Voyager. Yeah. That's the Canadian probe. Um, little known one. No, I'm just 
know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Not really. Take, yeah, don't don't be basing your be. science essays off of this podcast. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if there's one that had the red toque on the top, you know, the coup de bois. With the canoe paddle? Yeah, the, yeah it's on the side. There's a beaver logo and a, you know, and couple shaped of like cross a paddles. Yeah. <laughs> and a cooler on it. Okay. Yep. Uh, 1995. 95, The, the yeah. Galileo probe dropped into the atmosphere um, and Great. sent back direct measurements of the atmosphere until 2003, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Which is actually a really long time. I was surprised that it lasted that long. That's like eight years. Yeah, that's a trans... Uh, what do you call that? Trans-atmospheric probe? Like, that's yeah, a big deal. We don't, yeah. we don't, you know, normally do that. The, all the old previous ones were... You know, flybys. Let's take some pictures and some measurements. But this one is just yeah. put one in. And, and this is what the Juno probe is going to do. But you, what, yeah. the thing that you missed that I find the most interesting thing to happen, uh, and I wish I would have looked it up, uh, but it, it's uh, my memory serves. I'm pretty sure it was in the, in the late 80s. Might have been the, might have been the early 90s as well. Comet Hale-Bopp smacked yes. into Jupiter. Oh, okay. So that was a big deal because nobody really knew what the hell was going to happen. <laughs> yeah. Right? And you know th these these types of things are to say once in a lifetime I think is mm -hmm. is yeah, even cheapens it because um, cosmically speaking you know like th this could never ever ever happen but it it did right so it's yeah. unique right and like I was saying earlier about uh, just in reaction to your statistics about the chemical composition of Jupiter it's like a giant Molotov cocktail right if it's the sun that never you know, receive the spark to ignite, or for whatever for whatever reason, for whatever yeah. reason didn't quite right? work. And then now, what are we going to do? We're going to hit it with fragmentary cometary <laughs> bodies that have like you know megatonnage of n nuclear impact, right? Like they were massive when that thing hit. Thank God it broke up, and then a series of seven impacts made their way across it, and they took they took some really good pictures, and it was phenomenal. I remember seeing those, um, and just like just wondering that, like a, on Time Magazine, it was on yeah. Time Magazine. And that was a wonderful, wonderful thing to see. Yeah, so um, I don't remember that one, sadly, but I'm going to yeah. remember this. Yes. Okay? Yeah. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about the Juno spacecraft mm. that is coming to meet Jupiter. And then cool. I want to come back. More. I want to know more about that. And then I want to come back and talk about the moons after that, okay? Okay, yeah. Because then cool. that's a nice segue into myth. Probes are cool. Yeah, okay. Okay, so um, it's really cool and you should look it up on the internet yes <laughs> don't pass this um, one up yeah right? there's a lot of, um there's a lot of really good stuff out there about this um again i chose to pull my stuff from nasa because i figured oh, they should know what get it from the horse's about. mouth <laughs> so the probe itself um is solar powered okay. there's no they didn't have to come up with any new like brand new technologies they were able to to put this together, kind of knowing what they know we got now. It. Legacy project. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's the size of a basketball court. There Ooh, good. are. It's, I didn't know it it that has big. three solar panels. Okay. Um, and and each solar panel is twenty meters long. Wonderful. So this is like it's big. Um, July fourth, so next Monday, it will fly within two. 1,900 miles or 4,667 kilometers yes. of Jupiter's cloud tops. It's going to go into a polar orbit, so orbiting around the poles yes. of Jupiter rather than around the equator, yep. um, and probe beneath the cloud cover. Mm -hmm. And the goal here is um, to discover origins, structure of the planet, atmosphere, and magnetosphere. Right, so it'll be able to see... 
beyond the surface, like yeah. some sort of yeah. Doppler imaging radar type So thing. what yeah. makes this so exciting, because mm -hmm. we have looked at Jupiter before, mm -hmm. scientifically, is that this is actually going to be closer than any other spacecraft. Right. It, there are planned, now it's not going to be consistently close, it's yeah. going to move away from the planet and then move in back into the atmosphere. Okay. Um, so there's 37 close approaches that are planned. Um, the, one of the potential, or the big, the big potential problem is all of this radiation that right. I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Um, which is caused by these by science happening in these electrical hy right. hydrogen clouds. It means that Juno will be exposed to the equivalent of 100 million dental x-rays. Right on. That's, like a, that's, good, that's a lot of rads. That's, yeah. 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 And, and electrical yeah. Um, contrivances don't have a tendency to exactly. operate very well exactly. the, underneath those so, intense conditions. So here's what they're going to do about it. Right. So so first off, as I mentioned, the orbit is kind of squished mm -hmm. a little bit, right? So it's flattened. It's it's an oval, so yeah. that it's not always going to be yeah. within the intense um, radiation. Yeah. So that's one. The second one um, are shielding yes. shielding devices, shielding te shielding technologies. First of its kind, titanium vault to house the flight computer and the electronics. All right. Um, which Ooh, weighs another mythological term. Another <laughs> titanium, mythological yeah, titanium. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, very appropriate yeah, actually for, for for this. Um, but this titanium vault, this isn't like some little like box that sits on your desk. No. It weighs four hundred pounds. Okay. So it's pretty. It's you can uh, get a lot of titanium for four hundred pounds. Though. It's pretty hefty. Yeah. And they are hoping, planning that this will allow them to do science for twenty months. Right. So that this can be cool. in orbit. So almost two years. Does the probe itself actually enter the atmosphere? Yes. Okay. So yes. it will orbit it in enters, a polar orbit, yeah. but it will scoop in and it's pull scoop out. In, yeah, exactly. Okay. Exactly. All right. So it was um, well, launched kinda... August 5th mm -hmm. it's, um, of 2011. Yeah. It's going to arrive July 4th. Uh -huh. um, 32 orbits yeah. are planned. And you can watch um, it live on, at the JPL site. Yeah. I know you can. Yeah, I saw a link somewhere. Maybe we'll put that up. And interestingly, we say it's solar powered, but something to, to bear in mind is that it's so much further from the sun yeah. that it actually receives 25 times less sunlight than the Earth, or 25, uh, yeah, something like that. Yeah, it's far away. Um, yeah. Um, so it's going to be... Uh, it doesn't take a lot of energy, though, to kind of yeah. spitball it probe yeah because you know once they get going they just sort of go automatically and i thought i wrote the speed down i don't but i don't think i wrote it down right anyway it's going to be going super 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 fast okay. on entry like when it comes into jupiter into jupiter's atmosphere and then they're going to have to slow it down and get it into yeah. orbit mm -hmm. at the end of it which i find interesting because we get all excited about these things going off into space and then mm -hmm. it's like what happens to them right yeah so they um when their mission is done 37 orbits later yeah they're going to dive jupiter they're going to like it's going to self just self destruct. They're going to dive Juno, pardon me, into Jupiter. So get that as it many readings up. as possible before its destruction. Because, but here's why they need to destroy it uh. is because there's all of these other moons and there's all this other stuff out in space that they want to explore and they don't want to contaminate it with anything that might be on the probe from Earth, right? So if you're, hey, don't make that face. If you're looking for life, right, you want to make sure that it's, I mean, not that they're looking for life on Jupiter, but they don't want to risk contamination of anything. So I thought that was kind of cool, personally. Now, 
Um, Sounds like well. an Arthur C. Clarke novel. What's the chances of a football-sized probe that descended Jupiter is going to contaminate some pristine environment okay. on Dear one of the moons? Dear astronomers listening yeah, to I know, this, I know. please yeah, tweet I, so much garbage. at Darren yeah, exactly. Sundstrom. I know. Yeah, okay? Oh, you don't. teach him. Yeah, anyway, I I believe it. Um, the data that's going to come back from this probe, mm -hmm. the, 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 the plan again is to dump the data once per orbit. So every 11 days, um, it will send a clump. I don't know what's sure. a clump. Data a bunch. Dump. Yeah. A bunch of data back to Earth. Yeah, totally. And, it will, and depending kind of where Earth is and where Jupiter is, it could take anywhere, a one-way signal, anywhere from 35 to 52 minutes to get back to Earth. So yeah. a delay from leaving Juno to getting back Yeah, but you to know Earth. what I find bis bit misleading about those types of, those types of statements? And this is, ever since we've been sending probes, even to the moon, you know, where we've had minutes of delay, is, you know, everyone thinks it's like, okay, that the nature of the communication is delayed, of course, but it's a nonstop stream, yeah. right? So you don't Every really, yeah, you're, yeah, you're not really aware of the yeah. lag, you know, things, things are coming in constantly, there's, there's new material for you to, to analyze and images for yes. you to oh, go on, yeah. so, yeah. yeah. So it's um, not like you're like, hello, and then 50 minutes later, like, is the light on? And then, <laughs> yeah, it is, you know. Yeah, yeah. But, um, but I think it emphasizes um, the distance, yeah, right? Absolutely. And that's, you know, like, we're so used to just turning on, like, our internet and just having it there and having things, like, almost instantaneous. And, uh, It will know, never be silent, though. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so... Is there a Mugsimeter? Oh, yeah, the Mugsimeter. I almost forgot about yeah, the Mugsimeter. Since there really is no surface, I don't know how, yeah, if that would really so, work, but... I don't know either, but they gave, but I've got a number here. It would have to be a depth. And it's just over twice. Where's my Mugsimeter? It would only be about twice Earth? Um, let me find where I wrote it down now. Well, considering that it is a gas sorry. giant, yeah. that's affecting it. Okay. So, um, two point, I think it's 2.3 or something. Anyway, so mugs, an eight pound mugs on Earth would be an 18.88 pound mugs on Jupiter. So she would be a very big and heavy cat. Yes, hefty. Um, the orbit, Jupiter's orbit, yeah. um, so it's year, um, is equal to 12 Earth years. Okay. Okay, and, yeah. pl and Pliny also mentions that, so the ancients obviously knew that. Right. Um, rotation, um, as I mentioned, it's almost 10 hours, right. um, so it's much shorter than Earth. Temperature um, is uh, minus 148 degrees Celsius. Chilly. Or minus 234 degrees Fahrenheit. Mm -hmm. I only found the one temperature, so I don't know if it's always the same temperature at that point. I, I don't doubt know. it. We, maybe we don't know that much. Um, yeah, gravity um, is 2.53 times Earth. Mass, as I mentioned, you've got about just over 1,300 Earths. Yeah. And circumference is um, almost 11 times the circumference of the Earth. Right. Yeah. So that's it for Jupiter. It's big. It's big. It is the and king of planets. And it's got a lot of moons. It has a lot of moons. So, we're not going to look at all the moons. <laughs> you got like a shotgun list of all the, those moons? Because um, I'd be interested to know some of those weird old names. You know what? You can follow the, follow oh, the link okay. on the blog post. Oh, all right. Boom. Kabam. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, well, there's there's a few that people might recognize yeah. from myth. Do you oh, want to yeah. read those out so oh, that you can Lord. say them right? Oh, uh, what do I... we got here? Atone and uh, Calirohe and Calorake, what, Calore, Kore, Lida, Matus. Neme, Pacify, yeah. Thebe, and Themistos. Yeah. yeah. So those Themisto. Are just, yeah. Oh, yeah. Cool. Yeah. So those are just a few um, a few of them. But yeah. kind of the, 
big ones, the ones that we yeah. know about, uh, I believe were discovered by Galileo, but mm-hmm. there's four. And these are four really interesting ones for science. So I'm going to hmm. give you a little bit about it and then sure. about each moon, and then you're going to give us a little bit about the myth. Oh, sweet Lord. Yes. Okay. Think, Amen. <laughs> think you can do that? Hey, we'll try. Okay. Yep. So it's we'll start like Jeopardy. with... Yeah. It's yeah. like Jeopardy. Yeah. I, this moon is... Okay. I'll take gas guys for 100, <laughs> Alex. Io is the most volcanic, volcanically active body in the solar system. Uh, yeah. um, it's covered. The surface is covered in sulfur. Yeah. Um, it's a solid surface, but there's tides in it because of its nearness to Jupiter. Mm, that it actually affects tides yeah. on in a solid surface. That blows my mind. Um, it hasn't, and the planet itself seems to, or the moon has an Earth-like structure. So a core, that liquid mantle, and then some kind of crust stuff happening on top. Mm-hmm. So, Io. Io. Well, it is a violent moon, right? But what about the myth? <laughs> and it is a violent myth, okay. as well. Uh, kind of considering it's one of the, it's one of the myths, of course, of one of Zeus's conquests, uh, one of his um, uh, rapes of a mortal woman. A young girl by the name of Io, right? Uh, and Zeus uh, became enamored of her, uh, but uh, didn't just go and seize her straight away like he most like he does most of the time. It does get to that, but uh, he, um, I believe, uh, her father um, was uh, <laughs> approached by Zeus in a dream, right? Uh, he had these terrible nightmares uh, that he had to turn out his daughter. Uh, literally, like, kick her out of the household from the protection that a father affords a daughter. Uh, otherwise, his whole family would be killed, right? Uh, that's what the dream told him, the dream that was that came from Zeus, you know, one of those capital D dreams, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, so eventually the father, after much resignation, did honor the dream and did kick his daughter out from the house. Uh, and she wandered for some time, but when she was sort of released from the protection of the father, uh, Zeus um, came down to Earth, right, okay. in the shape of a cloud, right? And, uh, and she's the glimmer cloud one. The cloud one, and, and, and covered her over in a cloud uh, mm-hmm. and raped her, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, um, and Hera could not see, right? Of course, you have to hide it from Right, you've got to hide it from Hera. Uh, and um, this Juno probe, uh, you know, was not <laughs> able to see past the the cloud of Zeus, yeah. right? In this uh, mythological episode. Well, the articles do make do make reference to Juno's uh, probe, Juno's yes. ability to part Jupiter's veil of secrecy. Yeah, and that made me think of that story. Actually, makes you think of yeah. the I.O. story. Yeah, <laughs> and this poor unfortunate woman uh, uh, found herself, uh, you know, an, uh, an unwilling pawn uh, between. Uh, Zeus and his wife Hera, right? Um, Zeus transformed Io into into a cow, uh, and uh, and Hera knew about it. But in sort of this game, she said, "Give me this as a sign of your affection. Why don't you give me this beautiful cow?" Right? And Zeus is like, um, "Well, that's all right, right?" And he had to follow along, otherwise his ruse would have and been exposed. And then, yes, I think I remember this part. Yes. Oh, well, there's much she to it. Set the monster Argus, Argus with a hundred eyes yes. to watch. And so Argus can't sleep. Right. Um, so Zeus has it's to figure out how, Zeus yeah. has to figure out how to get this this heifer back yeah. from Argus. from Juno, right? And turn yeah. it turn it back into Io. Yeah. Um, so he sends Hermes. Hermes plays music, tells a story until yeah, he Argus falls asleep. Finally. He yeah. kills Argus. Yeah, he chops off his head. And then Hera 
mm. meets a peacock out of all of Argus's eyes. That's one of the etymologies okay, for the I'm, peacock feather. I'm yeah, sticking absolutely. With that one. Yeah, I like that one. And the peacock is one of her symbols, right? Yes, it is. Yeah, it becomes it becomes one of her And doesn't Io get driven? Um, doesn't Hera send a fly or something? <coughs> And yes. to drive Io mad and chase yes. her all over. Yeah, because okay. in retribution for the murder of that slayer of Argus, for Hermes, right, following what his father, right, stepdad said, go and kill that, you know, go and kill that giant, right? And so I want to do it because I want to get in with Zeus, a la Mercury, way back podcast too. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so he does it. But um, Hera sends the gadfly, which is, you know, sort a of fly. like, yeah, but it's like, it's a like a stinging fly. spirit, yeah. right? And it drives the tr- the poor, dehumanized, transformed Io to wander around all all the all creation. Let me put it that way, until ultimately Zeus can kind of sort of figure out what's going to go on, what, how, you know, how he's going to um, approach her again, right? Because he, he can't transform her. Think... She gets folded into the Promethean mythos, right? And I think in Ovid, mm-hmm. she actually winds up finding her family. She's still in cow form, but she yes. finds her family again, and she tries to, to tell them. Yeah, and, and she tries to write yeah. her name with her hoof in the dust. Yeah, that's she what tries she does. To the I and them, she does the O. But they don't get they it. They don't understand, right? Yeah. Because yeah, they can't speak, right? And if you can't she speak, just moves. <laughs> and she moves, and she looks like a cow, right? So there's okay. that dehumanization theme, Ovidian, and all that stuff. But ultimately, Zeus does come to Io finally again and transforms her. But in his second encounter with her, um, he sires another child with her, who ultimately will be called a pathos, which means gentle touch. And it's related to Zeus. It's great, in a sense, because it's related to, over the course of this whole myth, Zeus's transformation as a violent rapist to a more gentle, wisdom-driven kind of divinity okay. later on. Yeah. Right? And that's... Yeah. It all goes down the line. It's linked to Prometheus and linked to Heracles and so on. But Zeus will learn these things. He is a god, unlike many that we've encountered, that is capable of learning. So who do we got next? We have Europa next. So Europa, I'll give you a minute to think about that. (laughs) Europa is a moon mostly ice, possibly covering an ocean of water. So there's some curiosity about about Europa. Yeah. Um, Twice... Um, so I guess this ice is twice the water of Earth. I don't know. I'm just reading. Now I'm trying to decipher my own notes. <laughs> this is terrible. Um, Europa is in a potentially um, habitable zone. Mm-hmm. And um, it's has a core, has a rock envelope, and then has a thick layer of ice with maybe water underneath it. We I don't heard know about yet. it. Um, this one, there's because there's places where the ice has the most interesting broken one. and moved, yes. so that suggests that maybe there's water going yes. on underneath. They're pretty darn sure about it. Yeah, this one has been the center of much attention in science fiction literature, as the um, moon, uh, as a moon in our solar system that may potentially contain life. Um, the, the the subsurface water, for example. Uh, has thought to have been some sort of form of primeval ocean. So we might be able to get there and drill down through with a co- with a probe of some co- sort and see, you know, below this glacial ice and find, who knows, a, a va- there could be a vast ocean of, of aquatic life you mm-hmm. know, below it. Um, so there's, I've read much about this particular moon. Um, so, again, the myth side of it is with Europa, 
Um, for some reason, bulls and heifers <laughs> make their way into lots of these myths. But well, it's one here's of another one. Um, association. Yeah, it's one of the you know you power, Zeus and, and hey, Poseidon are both exactly. associated. Power. If you've ever you know been confronted with the uh, you know the revealed sort of procreative power of a bull, you know you know that they're about virility and strength, yeah. right? So th these types of animals. Uh, Zeus is associated with bulls. His brother Poseidon is associated with bulls. Dionysus is associated with bulls, but because of their their their, their virility, their strength, and their vigor. But long story short, Europa is a human woman, a very beautiful human woman, who um, is tied to Sidonian tears. So she's Phoenician. This is a non-Greek woman who Zeus sees and again um, falls in love with. I, that's the only way I can really put it. I'm not. Does that sound corny? Sure. You know, and um, that's what Zeus does. That's what he does, right? <laughs> and um, so he decides that um, he wants to get her attention. Um, he sees that Europa and some of her handmaids are playing on the beach, uh, uh, the Phoenician beach, and uh, he takes the shape of a white bull. Zeus does a beautiful white bull, very mm -hmm. large one, and sort of frolics and plays in the water a little bit, right? And they're like, "Oh wow, great! Huge white bull appears out of nowhere." Europa's handmaids run off, skittering into the bushes. Europa That's stays. That's a good strategy. <laughs> yeah, Europa stays. But isn't this exactly like the Nausicaa story, yes. right? With Nausicaa and Odysseus, Nausicaa and her handmaids, yeah. right? They say don't approach, they run off. But she has the fortitude to stand, right? Yeah. Now, whether that turns out to be good or bad, whatever, we're not, it's hard to say. But anyway, she approaches the bull and gets on it, right? Rides the bull, metaphor, and boom, she's gone, right? Zeus gallops off across the ocean and she's abducted. She's taken away. Right? She's taken away to Crete. Right? And she goes on to be a foundational figure for you know, many Minoan you know, yeah. um, heroes uh, and, and demigods. So Europa is one of those sort of meeting of the minds kind of thing. You know, the clash of cultures. Right? So when you are at the beach this summer... And you see and, a and you gigantic, see a gigantic boat, bull. do not right. get on it and ride it. Do not approach it. Do not approach. No. Run away. Run into the bushes. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, Ganymede is the next move. Ganymede. Yeah. Well, what yeah. do we know about Ganymede? I know little of Ganymede. Okay. Largest moon in the solar system. Oh, wow. Now yeah. that's cool. Larger than Mercury. Right on. Hey, when you're okay. Jupiter, you got to have a big moon. Only moon in the solar system mm -hmm. with internally generated magnetic field. So nice. it generates its own magnetic field. Nice. Um, from inside. Right. So there seems to be a core yeah, and a rock envelope yeah. and um, ice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So? Well, there's not much myth. Um, Ganymede is a Trojan uh, prince, right? He is a son of Tross, I believe. Uh, and Zeus, once again. Um, fell in love with this young Trojan princeling, um, young, very young, uh, and desired, uh, desired him, um, uh, brought him up to Mount Olympus. Uh, and unlike the other two mortal women, right, whom he just sired children with and abducted for a short amount of time, he brings him to Mount Olympus and transforms him through this process of apotheosis and makes him into his cupbearer, his sort of personal attendant, uh, and there is Ganymede, you know, forever and ever, a mortal child made immortal and ageless in the presence of Zeus to be his cupbearer. And you see him often in art, this, this mm -hmm. sort of young, 
young boy. It's it, a love affair. Yeah, it's a love affair that they have, right? Yeah. And 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 you know, Zeus is capable of of having um, sexual relations with both men and women, mm-hmm. right? So um, it, that that doesn't that's a it's you know it doesn't it's not one way or the other, right? Okay. So that's Ganymede. And, yeah, and Callisto. What does he get? Oh, the only oh. thing I can remember is what does Tross get, right, in return? He gets horses or he something. He gets horses, yeah. right? He gets some immortal horses, right? Yeah. So it's, yeah, abduct your son, and here's some fancy horses. Yeah. Um, okay, so Callisto is the fourth moon we'll look at in, in detail here. Oh, yeah. um, heavily cratered. <clears throat> um, most cratered in the solar system. Wow, so it takes a really, lot of hits. Yeah, it takes yeah. a lot of hits. Yeah. Third largest. Okay. Um, in moon in the solar system, about the size of Mercury. Oh, nice. Yeah. Big moon. Um, little to no surface geological activity. Okay, so that's kind of boring. Yeah. It sounds. It's a rock boring. in space. <laughs> it's a rock in space. Yeah. Okay. All right. Uh, Callisto. Callisto. Well, the Callisto story that I'm most familiar with would be in Ovid, mm-hmm. right, in the Metamorphosis, and Callisto is the daughter of Lycaon, a character who we know a little bit about. Zeus ties in with him as well. Jupiter transforms him into a wolf for his sort of uh, transgressions against uh, his guests, right? Uh, And uh, Callisto, of course, is this guy's daughter. Callisto is a young woman, a maiden, who is uh, associated with Artemis, uh, a huntress, uh, and is um, herself transformed into a bear, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, And um, uh, who later gives birth to a son, Mm -hmm. Argus, right? Uh, and um, Zeus turns them into constellations. Zeus in the later end. turns them into constellations in the end. Yeah, there's your dehumanization to and transformation from animal, then yeah. ultimately to to some sort yeah. of stellar body, right? Um, so and but she is punished in her transformation for, I believe, the sin is observation. She sees a rev- no. She <clears throat> she hides her pregnancy from Artemis. Oh is. yes, she's that one. Yes, yeah. so she hides yes. her pregnancy, and, then, and Artemis, of course, and is Artemis a virgin is goddess. Like, you can't do that and be one of mine. Well, Sorry, that's right. Yes. So she's turned out by one of yeah. her own, which makes it a really nasty thing. Yeah, you know? like it's 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 it's. So she's impregnated by Zeus, and yes. then through she, no fault of her own. Through, so it's so it's really. It's a, a rape decide, story. It's, it's a, a rape story. Classic, and then rejected by her own people for right. having violated the norm of chastity Correct. for Artemis. Yeah. Right. Associated with Artemis. Yeah, so her own yeah. crowd turned her he out. Did. Yeah. Right? It's kind of. Um, yeah, so it, it is. Yeah. And the constellation, the Big Bear and the Little Bear, um, might be more familiar to listeners as the Big Dipper and the Little Dipper. Yeah, Ursus. Yeah. Ursa yeah. Major, but Ursa and, Major Ursa Minor. and Ursa Minor. Right. Yeah. Okay, so. Yeah, so and they're there. Yep. They're there now. So yeah. you have your Callisto and Arcus. Yeah. Right? Um, so there's lots of other moons there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just looking at the list, like even the ones that the ones that I made note that jumped out at me yeah. are, again, they're women that Zeus had affairs with. Um, so um, Leda, for example. Yeah. Um, people may be familiar with the story of Leda and the swan. So Zeus um, transforms himself into a swan. Painters in the Renaissance loved this theme. They and did. You got to wonder. Yeah. <laughs> you got to wonder a little bit about them. But anyway. Yeah. Trying to figure out how how a swan rapes rapes a woman. But yeah. Um, and Matis is um, Zeus's first wife. Yes. Um, cunning intelligence. Yeah. Um, so we will leave the yeah. list for you to go. They're, they're all sort of consorts or concubines of Zeus. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, of so, Jupiter. You yeah. know, and that's another thing too. We just say Zeus. We say Zeus and Jupiter 
they're the same. This is Roman and Greek again, right? So yeah. I mean, the Roman god is a bit different. It has yeah. a bit different characteristics than the Greek god as totally. usual. But yeah. we, of course, are Stick interested the in the Greeks. For now. So, um, this is going to be a longer podcast. I can tell already. So, if you're still listening to us. Oh, we're um, doing fine. We would maybe, it's, we'd like to move on to looking a little bit more at Zeus himself. Who is this guy and where yeah. does he come from? <laughs> and <laughs> what, where, why, and where? Why, why does he get away with running around the, the universe and, impre- and yeah. impregnating yeah. poor, helpless women? Yeah. Well, they all do that. So. Yeah, yeah, but Zeus, but Zeus, Zeus especially. Zeus is all about procreation and creating more more life. He is. Yeah, yeah. he's he's hypersexual, hyper virile, uh, and and hyper masculine, right? In the Greek sense. And there's much about Zeus that we can recognize still. He's not an alien type figure, right? No. And and there there are many many things about him. And this is for me, he is my most favorite right okay. it's, people say things like oh i like hermes he's a cute baby and he barks and yeah but i like zeus right zeus is he's very complex he's extremely There's complex of, yeah. yeah and and you can say simple things like sky god weather god right male divinity right all that type of thing right and and make him simple but he is many many things right and he well, has to be to be the chief of the gods you need to be complex and many cultures that have a sky god have that sky god as the chief or one of their chief deities and also right. as one of their oldest. And I believe you mm-hmm. told me earlier, Zeus is chronologically, so if you step back and look at it history-wise, when the ancient Greeks seem to have started worshipping different gods, yes. Zeus is one of the oldest. And he's yeah. closely associated with Crete. So, And again, yes. the Minoan yes. civilization predates um what, what we're going to we, find on the mainland. What we're going to find later yeah. on the mainland. Yeah. In Mycenaean so, culture yeah. and the Argolid and so on. Yeah. And even into the classical era. But Zeus continually complicates himself. And, and unlike other divinities who can stagnate and break down, they don't really mean much after a certain amount of time, or they become so compartmentalized where they don't really mean much. But Zeus has this capacity to kind of, I'm going to say like, breathe in and breathe out. Like it's, it's he uh, can bring in new functions, absorb mm-hmm. them, classify them, you know, characterize them, and then perpetuate them. You know what I mean? So it's a living God, you know? Yeah. It's, and it's something that, for me, and for yeah. the ancients, I think, has some power, you know, yeah. beyond simple offerings and, you know, Yeah, it's a concepts. very, very yeah. powerful um, mythological yeah. um, and literature speaking, not oh, know, yeah. religious speaking, but yeah, yeah. from from uh, from the mythological standpoint. And like the Romans, I mean, they take Jupiter, their you know sky god, Jupiter and, and, and Zeus are equated. But yeah. again, he's a slightly different form, and he yeah. he is the the chief god for the Romans until Christianity. And even then, there's still Romans who yeah. who. Uh, secretly perhaps but sure. who, who continued that you know see because that's the thing sometimes it's not stressed very often you know we say things like whether it's Greek or Roman we use the word like a pantheon to describe uh, sort of a polytheistic system yeah. right yeah so we have a monotheistic system for the most part let's just say that that's the tradition and Western tradition, Western tradition yeah. right Judeo-Christian Judeo or Abrahamic yeah. or whatever yeah. right and even that is a bit of a stretch Right, because there's yeah. henotheism and polytheism that exists in the Old Testament. But anyways, <laughs> long story short, to say a polytheistic system, and then we start to talk about different gods, like we have done in this podcast, we also lose sight of the fact that there is a hierarchy. Yes. Right. 
So not only are there many, there are 14 that are 12, right? But of those 14, right, of those 12, that's the magic number, they, each one of them exist in an order, right? Yeah. And that order is, is not arbitrary, you know? It's not like, well, that one was born on a Wednesday and this one was a Friday, so this one, you know, there's a definite structure to them and that's like with like what we talked about i think with aphrodite and venus yeah. right the idea of this procreative erotic yeah. force being very early right in most mythology well in, in right. some greek yeah, mythology and the conflict in the depiction exactly yeah, yeah. and um yeah you can't yeah. always get it so right? and it changes yeah you know because yeah. their religious tradition their mythological and religious tradition their ritual tradition that we talk about in these primary sources is vast yeah. Right? Like, we have a certain degree of it in Western culture, but we haven't been around that long, right? Yeah. Compared to their experience of ritual, right? Yeah. So, it, it comes and goes, right? So, what passage did you have picked out for us well, to look at? There's all sorts of things to, to look at, but okay. I think primarily, I just stuck with Hesiod's Theogony. Our favorite. My favorite. Yeah. I love Hesiod's yeah. Theogony, because there's so much. I it's love good. teaching it, too, because there's just so much good stuff to Yeah. It's a good in. epic. You know, yeah. it's a good story, a powerful narrative. And uh, I picked... So where would you like to start? I, well, I just picked first uh, just a, um, four lines from the Theogony 71 to 74. Okay. It's just... It's part of the invocation of the muses scene. But Zeus infuses every line of the invocation of the muses scene. And I think maybe if we'll just read that, we'll okay. just have a shot at that and see what we okay. can get. Okay. He was ruling the sky as king, holding the thunder and fiery lightning bolt himself, having the victory from his father Cronus by strength. In right detail, he dealt laws and appointed honors to the immortals. Okay, so that was Theogony, line 71 to 74. Um, so... Just a little, like a little snippet, little flavor. Yeah, just a, in a nutshell. In a nutshell, right, some of the things... Because, you know, we'll, we'll just say over and over, Jupiter, yeah. king of the gods, Zeus, father of gods, gods and men. <laughs> and we, we're like, okay, what, they're like, what, are, what are those epithets? That we, yeah. pe we make too many assumptions. But here it talks about a few things. What's he do? He rules this the is, sky, yeah. right? So a few moments ago I said that Zeus is a sky god, yep. right? So there are traditions of sky gods in other world religions. And, you know, um, Zeus is a god of the sky, just as we have goddesses of the earth, right? We have gods of the sky. And for the most part, these Indo-European type gods that we get, like Zeus and his brothers and his sisters, um, they, they're they either associated with the sky or they're associated with the earth. And as a result of that, the gender gets thrown in. Mm -hmm. So sky gods have a tendency to be male, male right? Whereas... Um, fertility goddesses, female fertility goddesses associated with the land, right. like Artemis and... So there's your flip side. That Diana yeah. and that sort of thing. Uh, so then it says, so he was ruling the sky as kind, holding the thunder and firing lightning bolt for himself. And that's his big attribute. And when you see him depicted in art, he often has an, a lightning bolt, which I just want to throw, th throw this out there because mm -hmm. we think of 
lightning bolts as that zigzag Harry yeah. Potter kind of scar. Yes. For the ancient Greeks, they depicted lightning bolts differently. So if you look for the zigzag on on the images, you won't see it, but it's kind of. Oh, you'll um, see something much more interesting. It's in there. it's it's much neater. It's yeah. it's kind of like a really like elongated football. I, I'm not quite sure how to <laughs> how else to describe it. Like if it were football. like if, okay. if if a football were kind of stretched out a bit and made a bit longer and skinnier it's kind of fat and yes. and then sometimes it has like little like almost like curls coming off of it yes um this so. this idea this attribute of zeus being associated with the thunder and the lightning there that's a combined form it's sonic and then it's yes. also the bolt that you see and to the ancient greeks those were both powerful weapons but emblematic of, of zeus's authority right mm -hmm. and it's part of his augmented strength zeus has the lightning bolt it's a ranged weapon that allows him to attack. It signifies his power and his majesty. It also um, it, it also ties him into a larger a sort of ethos of world religions. Mm -hmm. In in Buddhism and Hinduism, the sky god Indra is associated with what they call the Vajra thunder, which is the mystical weapons of the sky mm -hmm. gods. So that sheathed lightning bolt that you see in uh, Vaz paintings, where it looks like an arrow, a stylized yeah. arrow with Lot of like those curls that you describe. Yeah. It's like a holder, right? Yeah. It's like a place where you would hold, like an oven glove would hold a glowing, like yeah. lightning bolt, right? Yeah. That's called the Vajra, okay. right? So you you see that, and like Indra has the Vajra, and Zeus has the Vajra, and in other translations of Hesiod's Theogony, they say Zeus holds the Vajra thunder, and that's what that means. That's a weapon, right? That's something that the Cyclopes is. Make and him. I was just going to get to right. that. It's not like, yeah, I don't, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we get so excited yeah. here. Um, because it goes right back to his very foundations yes. um, when he is seizing power. Because right. he is not the first god in the universe. He is far from the first god in sure. the universe, according to the Greeks. Mm -hmm. um, so when he is seizing power, part of the advice that he is given by Gaia, mm. the female earth goddess, who at some point we will do a Gaia <laughs> podcast. Um, well, the next is, little bit I talk about is, so is yeah. to go to the Cyclopes under the earth and they make him these weapons. So it, so it's right from his very, even before he takes the kingship. It's, right. So when you see it, right, when you see it on depicted, because mm -hmm. right? myth is visual. Mm -hmm. For as, as auditory as it is, you hear the stories, of course you do, but the ancient world is surrounded by art and vases of gods and statues like you wouldn't believe. Like, I'm making my way through Pausanias, and, and sometimes you want to pull and... your eyeballs off, but the, the world he describes is an extremely rich world, right, of things that you can see and things that you can touch, right? Uh, and we spend a great deal talking about literature, which for the most part is like auditory poems and so on. Yes, but point. when you when you see the lightning bolt, yes, it's a weapon, like I said earlier, right? But it also is symptomatic of the type of god that Zeus that Zeus is. He's a liberator and mm -hmm. an emancipator, and a, a god of justice, right? Mm -hmm. He can be wrathful. Who can't? Right? They're not imperfect. Because divine justice yeah. is not always the same as not human justice. Exactly. <laughs> sure. They're like us, but amplified. He right? can basically do what he wants, and it's just because he does it. Because he does it, right. And so when you see that, too, it signals to the ancient mind that, yes, he liberates his brothers from their cruel yeah. enslavement below the earth. It's his first act as king. Yeah. Although, it's, actually, it's not. Technically, it's not his first act as king, but it's damn close. Yeah. Right? 
So um, that's an important thing. So there you have that lightning bolt, right? That, and then it says that he himself, right? So it's, mm-hmm. for, it's for him and for him alone, right? Mm-hmm. For him and for him alone. And this is Hesiod's Theogony. So this is the 8th century. This is way back, right? Yeah. But Hesiod is taking all that stuff before him, right? And molding it and shaping it and presenting this image of Zeus and saying to his audience, this is the right one, mm-hmm. right? All that other stuff, forget about it. This is the new version, not the new, this is the version, yeah. right? And you know about Hesiod's relationship with Zeus. He can do no wrong, Yeah. right? Okay, next line. So having the victory from his father Cronus. And we'll talk about that episode right. next week when we right. talk about Saturn. Um, so the Roman Saturn, Greek Cronus. Right. And we'll talk about this the succession next week. Yeah, so. Or yeah. next episode. Well, that talks about the succession. But myth, that mentions it right there. Yeah, yeah so that's a little, there. little taster for right. next episode. Father takes from son. Yeah. And I do have to mention that in the yeah. next bit because it is kind of okay. tied in, right? But having taken victory, Nike, right, which yeah. becomes a goddess, from his father Cronus. And how does he do it here? He says, by, by strength. strength right yeah. strength might makes right at least at the beginning of the universe because if you don't have strength you can't have anything else yeah. like you can be wise and you can be fertile but you have to make people not, listen to you exactly. you have to make people behave right and that's what this next bit alludes to there too. It is. in right detail mm-hmm. he dealt laws and appointed honors to the immortals right he makes deals mm-hmm. with the other immortals to because the the greek pantheon is very heavily populated yeah. be, before like by the by the time zeus shows up on the scene he makes deals with other gods and other divinities to fight with him on his side against his father and yes. his father's allies sure. um, and as part of doing that he makes basically trees with them agreements you yes. know you're on my side so for example the cyclopes make him a thunderbolt and then he sets them free from where they were locked up and yeah. i mean and he gives some different um sticks for example um is made this goddess of the underworld and becomes conflated with the idea of the river. Right. Um, so he... He's a diplomat. Yeah. So he understands reciprocity. Yes. He understands give and take. Yes. Right? And he understands that the gods need to be honored. They need to have their honors. Yeah. And, um, and I think in doing that, he's also reducing the chance that they will come after his job sure but you notice in that line where it says like it says having taken well having taken the victory from his father Cronus by strength Mm -hmm. okay so in that contest of succession Zeus takes it by strength but in the next line almost in contrast it says in right detail he dealt laws and appointed honors to the immortals Mm -hmm. so he understands that sometimes you have to take things right but what is right is that he now needs to share Right, unlike Kronos, that he just had to overcome because Kronos yeah. didn't give a damn about anybody Shh. but himself. Right? Don't give it away. Yeah. Make them tune in next episode. No, that's Zeus. That's okay. not Kronos. Yes. That's Zeus. Yes. Yeah. That's what okay. we're on now. Yeah. So now we need to look at another one. Oh. Okay. Okay. So what's the um, what's the next uh, uh, episode? It's or? Hesiod. It's still Hesiod's yep. Theogony. Yep. Of and, course. And uh, Hesiod's Theogony, line four seventy eight to four ninety one. And it's, you know, again, more background of Zeus's birth. We want to know about him and we, by examining his birth story. So okay. This is Theogony. When she, Rhea, was about to bear her youngest son, great Zeus, vast earth received him from her in wide Crete to tend and raise. Carrying him through the swift black night, she came first to Lictus, Taking him in her arms, she hid him in a deep cave down in dark holes of holy earth on Mount Aegean, 
dense with woods. Rhea wrapped a huge stone in a baby's robe and fed it to Skye's wide-ruling son, lord of the earlier gods. He took it in his hands and put it down his belly, the fool. He did not think in his mind that instead of a stone, his own son, undefeated and secure, was left behind, soon to master him by force and violence and drive him from his honor and be lord of the immortals himself. All right. There it is. So there is Zeus's Zeus's birth. birth. Yeah, the situation surrounding Zeus's birth. There's much of the theogony before that that we could talk about, but I think it's just, we'll make a series of assumptions. And we're just sort of talking about Cronus and Rhea. Yeah. Right? Um, And of course... We'll be talking about them more next yeah. episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but Zeus is the first of the gods to really have a childhood, yeah, that's um, a birth story. He's, yeah. he's, he's the first one given that mm-hmm. um, birth story. But that's important. Why yeah. is that important, Allison? Um, you tell me. <laughs> <laughs> you caught me off guard. <laughs> well... Most of the gods that we've encountered so far in Hesus, the Agony, just sort of snap your fingers, pop into existence, yeah. right? And they're just there they have names and they begin to do things but the moment that a divinity is depicted as having a childhood even as brief as zeus's or as brief as apollo's if you want to read the homeric hymn of apollo but zeus is here first something special is occurring with the maturity right with a childhood is the opportunity to be nurtured and raised to be impressed upon by your mother or father to learn things that you did not know, right? And to have your sort of psyche or in a way your soul or whoever or whatever you are shaped by that experience, right? So if Zeus is the first god to really have that, that means something. And it signals his importance. It's a connection with him and with us. Mm -hmm. And it's not as alien or as aloof as some of the other divinities that just sort of pop into existence, right? So he has that. So when I look at this passage, there's Mm -hmm. lots of good stuff that's jumping out at me all at once. Um, And uh, for those not familiar with Hesiod's Theogony, Mm -hmm. read it. Um, it's, it's short. It's it's not that long, and it's it's, it's a great full. epic. Yeah. Zeus is the hero. Exactly. So uh, Rhea and Kronos are, I guess, the ruling couple yep. at this time. They're the king and, and queen. Cronus, um, I'm trying to think Cronus. of how to do this without giving too much away for, for, from next episode. At any rate, Cronus is eating his kids he so that they kids. don't overthrow him. Exactly. And uh, Rhea's getting kind of tired of this, and so. Earth, Gaia, mm-hmm. um, one of the earliest divinities and the wise one, the one with the matis, with the ability to think in the cunning mother. ways and yeah. intelligent ways, and the mother, the nurturer. Um, mm-hmm. Rhea turns to her to her mother Gaia and asks her for help, and so gives her to her. Yeah, and gives Zeus over to Gaia, and mm-hmm. this is this is really important because it shows Zeus's. Uh, primacy not in the order but his importance because he's given over to Gaia one of the four primordial beings and she, she hides ah she hides him mm-hmm. in a deep cave yeah. down in a dark hole yeah. of holy earth yeah. it's a symbolic return to, to the womb, the womb yeah. but it's Gaia's womb this time yeah. and um, Zeus is going to um, mythologically be twice be born. twice born yeah 
Um, and he and it's also starting to cement the idea of Matis, yes. which he does acquire for himself later, but right. his close connection with Gaia. Yeah. And it's Gaia who guides him through what he needs to do eventually to be king of the gods. Yeah. We also see um, Zeus's close connection with Crete. Um, and we know that historically um, there is... Um, Worship, uh, mountaintop worship, yeah. and, and cave. also caves, yeah. sacred caves mm -hmm. as well on Crete. Yeah. So Rhea uses a trick to get Kronos. Um, Kronos just eats what he thinks is the baby. Yep. Um, he eats a rock wrapped up in, uh, in swaddling clothes. It's and, a substitution ploy. And this is important too, because mm. later Rhea when... When Zeus makes Kronos vomit forth his children, yes. Zeus, instead of being the last born, is mm -hmm. now also symbolically the first born, and yes. therefore he is able to inherit because the yes. first born son is the one who inherits. Mm -hmm. The last born son, mythologically speaking, so looking at different myths, the last the last born son mm -hmm. is usually the favorite of? of the mother. Yes. So here Zeus holds both positions. Yes. He is both entitled to inherit from his father, yes. but he is also favored by his mother, his, both his mother, Rhea, and his grandmother, grandmother Gaia. Zeus, er, yeah. Gaia sorry. Yeah. He's raised by Gaia. Yeah. Right? And much of what Zeus ultimately is known for is a result of that genetic inheritance. Rhea gives him a great deal, but Gaia gives him a great deal as well. Those things that make him... Um, successful as a ruler in the Theogony are those things that he's learned from Gaia, those feminine qualities that he has, a proto-Matus type qualities. He yeah. has a certain wisdom and a certain craft, right, uh, that he inherits, uh, and even he, before he absorbs Matus. Yeah, and so on the advice of Gaia, after he has secured his rule, he takes Matus as his first wife. Yeah. And then when she is pregnant yeah. with the first child, there's a prophecy that this child will be will, will overthrow Zeus. Mm -hmm. Zeus has seen this happen. He's done this to his father, yeah. and he knows this has happened to his grandfather. So at that point, instead, exactly, yeah. he eats Matus, mm -hmm. and then he gives birth to Athena. And then the people throw up the hands and say, yeah. excuse me, excuse me, what's the difference between when Zeus eats his wife and then when Cronus eats his child? Zeus does not kill her. He mm -hmm. consumes her, and she becomes a part of him, right. and she, and he absorbs that feminine quality of Matus. Right. And he's one of the few male gods who has that quality. And does not arrest the birth process. Yes. Cronus absorbs the children. And, and disregards the connection between child and mother. He doesn't plan on Rhea's, Rhea saying, I don't want my husband to eat my kids anymore, right? <laughs> so I'm going to do something about it. Sorry. He completely disregards yeah. Yeah. that, right? So he absorbs the child. He takes yeah. it into the male womb, the gaster, the stomach. Whereas right? Zeus takes Where, on the Zeus female. Zeus just takes the female. The, the female quality. Yeah. And well, he takes the, the yeah. whole female yeah. with yeah. the child in her. Yeah. So he incorporates all those things. And then people say, well, that's still a nasty thing. But still, though, in mythological thought, she is happy. Matus is still happy. She's the eternal advisor of Zeus. Yeah. And then she is still able to give birth because we know the mechanism, right? Yeah. So Athena, Matus, Zeus's head, right? Yes. Like, so nothing is really yeah. stopped. Their arrangement is slightly yeah. different. But the processes are still able to move yeah. forward. 
And Zeus has Gaia's blessing, so to speak, to continue as ruler. Because remember, it's Gaia that helps him get to the throne, and she could help somebody else overtake him if he turns out to not be a good ruler. Right. But he is a good ruler because he goes around procreating willingly with willing or not uh, victims. Yeah. But that's what he does. He's all about life and procreation. Yeah. And so God, and that's what Guy is about. Metis, Themis, Eurynome, Demeter, yep. Nemosyne, Leto, Hera, seven yep. wives in total. Yeah. Right. Ending, of course, and with then Hera. Plus and then the, the untold thousands of, of yep. you know, love connections. Yeah. Let me put it that way. Uh, so there's new life, right? He's not eating any children and stopping no. anything. This he's is he's out there sowing his seed. Forward. Very, yeah. He's sowing his wild oats. Yes. Very, very widely. Yes, things are moving forward. All right. So that that section there talks about that. Talks about Zeus's birth. Talks about Zeus's places, the place of Zeus's birth, the significance of his birth order, right? The significance of of his inheritance. Yes. His association with feminine earth, uh, female earth goddesses. Yes. Right. Um, and that and that's a, that's about it. And, and the last section is simply that um, uh, talks about you know he, that he will by force and violence. Drive from, uh, uh, drive him from his honor, and be the lord of the immortals himself. Mm-hmm. Right, and that's, that's mm, overthrow of Kronos. Yes. Right, and that's what this succession myth is about. Yeah, that's what See, gets I, Jupiter moving forward. I wish Saturn came before Jupiter because it would be so much more convenient for our podcast. Well, he does. <laughs> you know, no, 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 no. I mean, I, no, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah. I mean, in the planet, in the order of the planets. Yeah. <laughs> if we could just have Saturn and Jupiter switch places for us, that would be great. Yeah. But yes, we yeah. will we will come back to that. Mm-hmm. So I think the decay of Zeus. Yeah. So was there anything else that you wanted to highlight or No, that's good. We can look at the last bit and then okay. be done. All right. So um, what that is your last That was Theogony four seventy eight to four ninety one yeah. and I wanna just go on to four ninety one to five hundred and then be done. Okay. Swiftly then the strength and noble limbs of the future lord grew. At the end of a year, tricked by the clever advice of earth, great crooked minor Cronus threw up his children, defeated by the craft and force of his own son. First he vomited out the stone he had swallowed last. Zeus fixed it firmly in the wide-pathed land at sacred Pytho in the vow of Parnarsis, to be assigned thereafter a wonder to mortal men. Okay, so that's a short little snippet. Um, I've kind of, I realized I kind of preempted some of that with my comments earlier. Sure, yeah. But, um, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it does talk about his childhood, which yeah. we just jumped all over at the beginning of the last one. But, again, it's a credit to the mother. Maturity, growing, childhood, that type of stuff. And they call him the future lord, right? So he has a destiny. Zeus is the prophesied child. And, you know, it's much responsibility to be Zeus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, and then it t- describes the length of his, of his maturation cycle. It takes him about a year. But then it talks about the word, the words is doloi, trickery, right? And clever advice. So it says, tricked by the clever advice of earth. Gaia is the source of Matus, right? Gaia is the font of Matus, her cunning intelligence. So she uses that capacity to trick, right? And who do they trick? Great crooked-minded Kronos, right? This tyrannical father of, of Zeus, right? And I wish he had told us, like, what they did. Yeah. They you know what I mean? Like, he... He glosses he, it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it, it, they find to have something. You know what? I, uh, I, can, I can almost guess why it's glossed. Mm-hmm. Considering the sort of focus and the sort of affection that a character like Hesiod has for the figure of Zeus, 
um, this little vignette and the little bits that we do know about it um, cast Gaia in the preeminent position, right? Mm -hmm. So Zeus is just a, a tagger along. Okay. You know, and so she is the one that actually makes Kronos regurgitate, right? Because it says that they defeated him by craft, right? So that's techne, right? That's like Matus. This is similar, yeah. right? So they defeated him by craft, and then it says, and force of his own, like ultimately defeated by the craft and force of his own son, right? Baia and Tecne. But so she gets him to throw up Cronus. And, and that's his thing, like, that's Hesiod, right? He's like, okay, well, guy, help. Let's get on to the next thing, right? Yeah. And then it says, first he vomited out the stone. Now you're talking about the birth order again. Very important. That's the umphalos that yes. you see at Delphi when you visit it, the sacred relic, right? The magic rock. It's like a fetishism, and, and right? Omphalos yeah. means belly button. Yeah. So it's thought of as the belly button or the center of the world. Yeah, the and navel it's this rock, finely navel carved stone. stone. And I think I read somewhere that it was possibly a meteorite yeah, or something. Not? And that kind of fits in sure. mythologically with this idea of a stone being falling from the heavens. Uh, yeah. Um, and yeah. it's carved like it looks like it kind of has like a net sort of design all yeah, over Yeah, it looks like it. a gigantic and Fabergé egg. Yeah, 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 it kind of does. So give it a quick Google and you'll yeah. and you'll find lots of pictures. Pausanias talks about seeing it in his day. Yeah. That's, you know, Now, like if it was the same one 400 years <laughs> later, but um, again, though, they're relics, right? And these yeah. things are important, right? They're important in ritual, they're important in cult. We need to see, hear, and touch. And, you know, when we go there and we can see that thing, it instantly transports us to the world of Hesiod's Theogony and it connects us with Zeus. Yeah. Uh, and and his birth narrative, right? So there it is. Right? And this and this passage here. Um, so just to sum up, it mm -hmm. shows this combination, the coming together of Metis. Yes. So the clever mind and yeah. techne, which is like the art and craft and yeah. the making of things. Yes. And bia and yeah. force. Mm -hmm. All of these three things come together to put Zeus in position, and he is all of yeah. all of these three things. Yeah, in the story, you're seeing them as different components but as they as they move together they become facets of, of yes. a successful reign of Zeus yeah. he's a he's multifaceted he's dynamic he knows of great strength and great violence and he has it in spades you know I was telling you that analogy between you know the American military budget remember that mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. same sort of thing right with the strength of Zeus right there's nobody in the in the cosmos that is anywhere near Zeus's physical strength not even close it's not a close contest. And that's the type of thing that we forget. And we mm -hmm. look, we say things like one, two, three, four, and we think, okay, great, who's next and who's next? But it's just a whole different thing, right? Yeah. You're on a whole different order, right? So, um, and then what does he do after the stone is, is swallowed up? Of course, he goes on in the succession myth to ultimately succeed Kronos and establish his rule and dominion as father of gods and men. But he takes that rock, and this is, this is something that I talked about earlier as being his first act. We talk about the freeing of his uncles, the mm -hmm. Cyclopes, and then later the freeing of the Hundred Handers on the advice of Gaia during the Titanomachy. But, his but first at this particular act. point, his first official act as king is to take that rock that symbolized himself, right, mm -hmm. and place it at the sacred spot of Delphi. And right? Delphi is one of the most important oracular yes. places. So it was one of the places where you as an ancient Greek could go to find out what the gods right. said to you. And uh, Zeus had one, um, or there was one associated with Zeus at Dodona, which yeah. involved oak leaves, which yep. is another symbol of Zeus. Mm -hmm. um, and, the north. Yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, Delphi is the 
big one, it's I a guess. Big one, yeah. It's like um, it's a Panhellenic site, so people come from all over, um, and you ask the Pythia on certain days, the the priestess, and she gives you some sort of answer. Yeah, it's an oracular yeah. shrine. Yeah. And, and when you look at a map and of Zeus Greece, is all about oracles. Oracles come from Zeus. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, yeah, now, he's now, not a god of prophecy per se, no. but he will speak to you, right? And and uh, Delphi yeah. is the temple there is to Apollo yeah. to his son, right? So and Apollo is like the mouth, yeah, mouthpiece to the mediator. Zeus. That's what I'm trying yeah. to get at. Yeah, it'll get to that. Yeah, right. And we but not a, yet, not yeah, yet, and not we yet. don't have a planet <laughs> Apollo, not that I know of. But you know, but Zeus, Zeus, and the is, Apollo missions, <laughs> right? We did, we did have the yeah. Apollo missions, and that actually is something we should add to the list. But the idea of Delphi being central, the navel stone, the center of the body, right? Yeah. You know, if you want to get into the that sort of, of idea of the chakras and stuff, the center of the body, right? The universal man, the center of the body is the navel. The center of Greece, even on a modern map, you put a push pin at Delphi, in known world, right, in Ptolemaic terms, that looks like the middle of things, mm -hmm. right? And when a new ruler comes along, they say the most important times in a new king or as a new ruler are your very first actions because mm -hmm. it symbolizes the tone of your reign, right? So his, his first rule, his first actions uh, of freeing his uncles and so on, right, and becoming successful in the succession war and the Titanomachy are important. But the idea of placing this stone that symbolized him, right, in the substitution mm -hmm. narrative at the center of the known world and the navel is like saying, this is mine. Right? And putting a push pin in it. Yeah. Right? I am the king. Here is where my domain begins. And it encompasses the horizon on all sides. Right? Yeah. There's the story of Zeus standing there and releasing the eagles, right? Yes. And they, they, they go across and they meet in the middle. And where they meet is at Delphi. This yeah. is the magic spot, right? Yeah. This is the center of things, right? And when you look at those old antiquarian maps in that Ptolemaic world, they are. That is the The, the, the Herodotus you know? map. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And even in Herodotus, in book one in Herodotus, when it talks about the lofty realm of Zeus, it doesn't mean Mount Olympus. It means the mountainous area of Greece. When the Persian king looks across and says, I'm going to take that place, yeah. right? I want that place, right? I'll cross over from here into the lofty realm of Zeus. And that's what he's doing here. He's setting the tone for his, his um, kingship, yeah. right? And so then he goes on, as we've said several times, he releases his uncle's encyclopedias. Yeah. He releases the hundred handers, yep. um, these monsters, and he um, engages a in a war against his father. And, and we'll get to that when we talk about exactly. Saturn. Exactly. And, um, and yeah, Saturn, Saturn yeah. had it coming. Yeah. Right. So I think we'll leave it there for Zeus. Absolutely. We've gone a little bit longer than, than usual, so thanks for hanging in there. Um, and thanks for waiting patiently for us to get this episode out. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think we had any listener mail or anything that we needed to, nope. to say. No, nope. I person. mentioned our, our astronomer friend, Erin mm -hmm. Ryan. So do look her up and follow her on Twitter. We'll see if we can get her a little bit of a boost in followers. Mm -hmm. That'd be kind of fun. Um, so um, until next episode, which may be, I don't know, next week, the week after the week. It's summertime. Which There's will no be sketch. Saturn. Saturn will be <laughs> yes. next. Um, no surprises there. Yeah. And uh, so keep your eye about. out for the Juno probe. So Juno, of course, Hera. Hera is going to go meet Zeus, and we're going to see what happens. See what happens? <laughs> All right. Good night. I am Darren Sundstrom on Twitter. 
Oh, I'm Allison. I'm in at, at Innis Allison on Twitter. Yep, and I'm at Darren Sunstrom. So, and that was Muggs just putting in her two cents. So we will leave you for now. Have a good night. Enjoy your summer. Good night, goodbye, and good luck.